As far as I'm concerned, as long as that same respect and recognition is not shown toward every one of our people in this country, it doesn't exist for me. And during the few moments that we have left, we want to have just an off-the-cuff chat between you and me, us. We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. I am continuously left inspired day in and day out when I see so many of the young people, and I'm young obviously, but the younger than me are taking on the mantle of change and becoming you know, quote unquote woke and revolutionary and radical in their philosophies. And such a person I have, such a person who fits that description I have, Afian with me. How are you, bro? I'm good, bro. Thanks for having me on here. And thanks for that introduction. Now, now you are, I'm telling you, I, I first came across you quite some time ago, actually, when I saw your youth parliament video and you gave your impassioned speech about, you know, the connection between austerity and knife crime. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, this is, how old were you when you did that? I think about 15. Wow. 15. Okay. You know why it's really amazing for me? Because I was also in the youth parliament and I also was 15 as well when I spoke about knife crime as well. So I, put, so I literally, I saw myself, I was like, no, no, I, no, in the positive sense, like, this is amazing that there's still people out there, still people wanting to, you know, change. So my question is, what kind of got you involved in politics? I think fundamentally, if we look at kind of the last 15, 20 years of politics, in, in particularly in Britain, but also across the world, it's defined by kind of continual crises. So we have the 2008 financial crisis, we have mm-hmm. the climate crisis, we have the crisis around systemic racism. And I think a lot of young people's involvement in politics comes from drawing the connections between the kind of decisions made by those who hold political, economic, social power and the kind mm-hmm. of things they see their community affected by. So I think it's about how do I make this mental connection between those decisions and what's happening in my area and to the people that I know in the wider world and say, what can I do to actively change and do something about it? So I think that's the kind of root of it. Absolutely. But then what kind of like got you, like I want to say quote unquote radicalised you? Because let's say not everyone, not every young person likes politics. Not every young person is interested in change, you know. I often feel old when I go on to TikTok and I see what Gen Z is talking about and I'm like, okay, okay, this is interesting. And it's very, I think they're very creative. And I think there is definitely more of a connection to politics than probably my generation but there isn't but not everyone's still involved in that political kind of decision making or or you know want to take a, a stand a stance on things so like what was the catalyst for you that said okay you know what i'm gonna get involved and try and make an active change i think it's a combination of things i think it's about kind of asking yourself do i want the world to be the the same after kind of our generation has had our time to influence things and mm-hmm. i think if we look at kind of there's a rise of people who aren't quote-unquote politicians but who speak out in a kind of political sense use their platform whether that be Stormzy, um, John Boyega there's a kind of current that actually whatever part of society you're in Mm -hmm. we kind of have if you have some kind of platform you have some kind of responsibility to speak out on these political issues and a lot of it is because the kind of people who are involved in quote-unquote mainstream politics yeah. Often let don't me, speak let me, let me push to back what people on that. want to hear. Yeah. Let me push back on that point then. You, do you feel like people who have large platforms have to speak out? I think people don't have to. 
but it's uh, each person can make their own decision. But I think there's an element of responsibility, mm-hmm. and that actually the kind of voices of a lot of these people are really quite powerful. And mm-hmm. they kind of come from communities that face different forms of marginalization, whether that be racial, economic, those kind of things. It, 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 I think people, to a certain extent, have some kind of responsibility to speak out when, when they see injustice. Okay. Yeah. Definitely agree with you. But then what would you say to the person that's got a large following but is not well-versed on topics of social justice? Should they talk for the sake of talking or should they, like, what would you say to that? I think it's a difficult balance in that to kind of amend and contextualise the point that I'm making. Yeah. I think there are people who have a lot of, some often the people who have some of the best things to say about kind of these different forms of injustice aren't necessarily mm-hmm. the ones with the biggest platform. Okay, exactly. So, so you kind of have community organisers who are working week in, week out in, in different community centres across the country, doing different things and speaking out for different communities, who often, as a result of the nature of what they do, don't have particularly large platforms. So I yes. think there's a combination of speaking out against the injustices that you see when you have a platform, if you're yeah. kind of massively record-saying musician. But then there's also the thing about passing the mic on to people who are on the ground and actively doing things. Like, it's not one or the other. It's actually saying, I have this platform, but actually there are some people who are here who I can highlight their work and talk about the things that they're doing. I think there was something really powerful that somebody did a couple of years ago. There's Temian Wale, who runs the Forefront Project, which is essentially centred around creating new alternative forms of kind of justice and standing up for the community and area in the face of things like gentrification. Yeah. Um, and there was one time where he kind of shouted out the work that she's done. And I think that's a really powerful example of when actually someone with a really big platform says that this is someone who is doing some great things, but let's get more people paying attention to that. So I think that kind of hopefully addresses the, the one of the points that you put forward there. Absolutely. I am in absolute agreement with you on that. So my question is then, talking about you again, what are, who are some of your inspirations? I think there's there's a lot of inspiration. I think Stormzy definitely is one of them. Kind of people in the past, people like Malcolm X, Thomas Sankara, Bernie Grant, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. All the good people, all the amazing people. You're, you're listing all my heroes, so carry yeah. on. <laughs> um, who else is there? Who else? There's a lot. But it's them. interesting. The heroes that you mentioned, though, they would say politically, well, especially AOC, who arguably is one of the most um, popular politicians to be alive today. Yeah. A lot of them you mentioned, especially her, are revolutionary type figures and or, particularly her, are on the left, what we call progressive. Do you, in your estimation, are young people on the left of politics and are you? Yeah, I'm definitely on the left of politics. And I think kind of my generation or our generation will very much be remembered as one of the most progressive generations. In mm-hmm. that, if we look kind of young people favour radical action around systemic racism, around economic injustice, around the climate crisis. And I think actually one thing that makes people or or is kind of the bedrock of of parts of AOC support is that as progressive people involved in politics, it's not just good enough to have ideas which will put forward justice. We actually have to very actively think about how can we get as many people on board with our transformative ideas about changing the world okay that's very interesting that's very interesting then so let's speak about it for people who are cynical of the system do you feel like 
you can be progressive in that system and still make a change? Like, would you still advocate for mainstream politics as a dominant force of change? I think it's a combination. I think if we if we're serious about transforming the world, then yeah. we have to essentially take kind of two approaches. One is about electoral politics. I think yep. no one can seriously say that we can totally ignore the massive amounts of power which are concentrated kind of in the state and, and in governments. And actually, we can do great things in terms of domestic and foreign policy if we were actually kind of running things. But then there's also, okay. there's limits to that. And actually, we have to kind of utilise social movements and activism. So I think it's a combination of both of them. It's not one or the other. I absolutely in agreement with you in that. What I would say then with the public debate so polarised now, and a lot of times you find this, and this is something that I personally try to kind of manoeuvre between. So I agree, I am very, uh, very progressive. I like to call myself progressive and I like to align. And, I, and many of my circles that I move within are those circles of you know people who are progressive or who we consider on the left. Do you not feel that, however, though, if change is meant to supposed to happen, we have to engage people we disagree with? And I find, however, there's not so much a willingness of those on the left to engage those who we dis- who disagree with. Or do you feel like it's or do you feel like it's just a waste of time and I rather you know kind of create a generation or engage with people who who are already kind of you know on board? No, I think we absolutely have to. I think fundamentally we have to do two things. We have to mm-hmm. mobilize and energize the people who already agree with us, and we have yep. to bring on side those who are currently opposed to our ideas. And I think Mm -hmm. it's a question of how do we, a lot of it is we have to think more carefully about how we frame our arguments. Yeah. So one of them is, I think a really powerful example is this summer and the kind of A-level scandal around the algorithm. And I think one of the things I observed is that you can really powerfully make the case for progressive ideas centered around concepts of like fairness. Okay. And that everyone kind of often kind of progressives are deemed as essentially kind of crushing potential and people's individual capacity for deciding things about their lives. But actually kind of the most meritocratic quote unquote societies are also the fairest in that Mm -hmm. if everyone has a kind of decent standard of living, access to healthcare, free education, a welfare state that's actually capable of that you can actually have a fulfilled life um, yep. through. We're also creating a much fairer society in which people can fulfill their potential fully. And actually that's that that's kind of part of it that we need to be better and think more actively. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I have all the answers about how we should frame our arguments, but we yep. do generally need to think about how do we present progressive ideals in a way that appeal to a broader cross-section of society, across generations, across geographical locations, because that's the thing that, back to AOC, I think AOC is a really brilliant communicator, and yes. all of us as as, pro- as progressives in the UK need to learn how to better, more simply, more effectively communicate and Absolutely, spread our ideas. The question is then, how do we navigate that space in your, let's say, for example, People will get upset. Let's say, let's say you mentioned systemic racism. So that's something that I feel heavily um, passionate about and speaking about and unpacking. So people will say things like the word white privilege is um, divisive. Yeah. I would retort with, well, I don't really care if it's divisive. It's a fact. And it's not yeah. to say every single white person is, uh, is, what's it called, is, you know, doing better than everyone else in society. But what we're saying is that essentially, if you are white, it will not be an impediment to your success. Yeah. 
that's what we're saying essentially. But how do you? So how can we package then talking about white privilege, which is a which is a problem, as is white supremacy, as is colonialism. You know, you know, we ha- and we have a government right now, especially in the UK, and you know, we have remnants of that in the states, but particularly in England, where you know we cannot te- teach white privilege as an uncontested fact. We cannot teach certain leftist. Uh, leftist ideals you cannot teach you know colonialism and all these things we have from the tory government which i think is you know ahistorical and actually reactionary politics but how do we go around you know trying to talk about those things in the public sphere in your in your opinion i think it's uh there's a balance in that this approach about framing things in a kind of correct or or better way Mm -hmm. doesn't detract from the occasional need to actually just put forward ideas which people are initially opposed to in that kind of this it's really difficult because if we look back at kind of some of the most important social movements whether that Mm -hmm. be kind of Malcolm X, Martin Luther King who actually weren't as they they weren't as opposed as history is traditionally taught like yeah. there, there's often people present them as being a massive dichotomy in what they thought, but actually the the lines were slightly. Oh, blurred. absolutely, absolutely, and I think it's just. But again, you know, America needed a villain and a hero, and obviously, naturally, the villain, quote unquote, will be someone who's ostensibly or visibly, you know, more radical. Because yeah. you know, systems power never yields, you know, by itself. People yeah. don't want to give up power. People don't want to quote unquote radical change. But on the Malcolm X, so the Malcolm X and MLK dichotomy, then. Do you not then feel like, I think it's very telling when we look at the approval ratings of both of these men when they died. So Malcolm Martin had an approval rating of 52% amongst black people when he passed away, as yeah. is as was Malcolm X when he passed away, something around the 30% margin. So is there not a part of saying that, okay, it's not about being popular. I'm going to say what I have to say and in, and in late generations, it might, be, it might catch on. I mean, now look at Malcolm X, undoubtedly he's one of the most inspirational revolutionary figures in the English speaking world. Yeah. So what do you think about that? I think there is an element that we also need to focus on building coalitions. Okay. That kind of, I'm not sure if it really answers your question very well, but I think it, it is, like, I'm not going to sit here and say that I have all the answers to these questions. No, not at all. I think, I, I, we're just philosophizing. Yeah, I think one of them is that kind of popularity needs to be viewed in a kind of more interesting way. In that we need to think about what it actually is our capacity to change people's minds. Mm-hmm. How do we mm-hmm. present our ideas in a way which people may initially disagree with them, but yeah. over time when we kind of explore the ideas that people can actually start to think that there is some capacity to positively change society through them. In that mm-hmm. actually kind of often ideas start off by being very unpopular, particularly if they're very radical. But exactly. if but if we can effectively communicate their capacity for change, then I mm-hmm. think that will push us forward. But back onto that point about building coalitions, I think it's absolutely important because although kind of in the UK, people like to form these kind of divisions between left behind towns and this supposedly rich metropolitan London. Yeah. yeah. But it's actually just not factually correct. And actually a lot of the policies which would improve lives in the North would also improve them in London. And actually, we need to, how can we, we need to ask ourselves as progressives, how do we bridge together people who have a shared experience of injustice, but as a result of various different things, those injustices manifest themselves in different ways. Absolutely. And I think, again, what people, 
fail to realize is the intersection between class and race. Yeah. I think that's super important because naturally, yes, we have specific issues that target black people, of course. But again, a lot of the issues that particular that affect black people also affect white white working class people. Yeah. And I think it's very telling, isn't it, that we had technically a people in this last general election in the UK voting against their interests. It's quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's a whole thesis in and of itself. You know, what I mean, we can talk about why that why that was the case. The question isn't to you then. Why did you go on like talk about knife crime? Why is it passionate to you? I think it's it's kind of a thread of a lot of what we're talking about in that there's kind of a disconnect between what's actually causing knife crime and what's mm-hmm. said to be causing knife crime is kind of the public debate. So yeah. if you kind of listen to what a lot of politicians are saying, particularly those in the Conservative Party and on the right in the UK, they yes. essentially are fixated on ideas around policing, stop and search, as these kind of ultimate solutions to the problem when actually yes. we know that kind of looking to glasgow looking to other examples where Absolutely. public health approach has been taken that actually the drivers are kind of school exclusion which should be essentially abolished i think the drivers are poverty because of kind of the decimation of of the welfare state as a result of kind of the last decade of austerity the destruction of youth services as well as a, a load of other kind of socio-economic issues that that kind of fundamental divide is is mm-hmm. kind of one reason why i decided to talk about knife crime because i think there's kind of part of the reason why this country is is the state that it's in is that the kind of there's a monopoly on who holds kind of political space and whose exactly. voice is heard to whose voice is listened to and whose whose voice is, is kind of public debate so i think yeah absolutely. that's kind of one reason Absolutely, absolutely. And speaking on back to messaging then, what do you think of the slogan, defund the police? Bad messaging, good messaging, effective, what do you think? Necessary? I think it, it's kind of, it's, it's not the most effective way of communicating the idea. In that, okay. I think, I'm not going to sit here and say that anyone who uses it shouldn't, because I think it's, it's up to what different groups decide is, is the best way of communicating their particular perspective. Absolutely. But I think there's an element of how do we frame ideas in a way that's going to build the largest cross-section of societal support, mm-hmm. in that actually you can win over a lot of people who are initially opposed to that title, to that slogan, when you talk about kind of investment in schools and public safety in kind of poverty alleviation, reducing the amount of abolishing homelessness, kind of ending school exclusion, all these different things which are about what are the real sources of safety in our community. It's not kind of massive over-policing, that's just not the solution. I think actually you could win over a lot of people. But simultaneously, I think the slogan kind of, it the best political slogans galvanise as many people as possible without alienating yeah. people. And I think okay. we have to think about how can we frame that in a way that kind of wins over as many people as possible and and gets a strong reaction positively without initially and immediately repelling a lot of people but the problem is mm. when people like obama wade into the debate and say oh, oh he was terrible yeah he it's kind terrible. Of like, that's the exact wrong way of kind of belittling people who've done a lot of great work around um, racial justice over the last 12 months i don't think that's the way to oppose and criticize it Absolutely, but I don't know how you feel, but my personal opinion, I've been so dismayed and upset by Obama, which I've said several times on this platform, because I feel like, again, but okay, I don't want to make it Obama bashing, so we can, that's another time for another topic. But what I would say is, I think there is that 
interplay between politicians and and activists. Activists are not politicians. Yeah. So if they say and defund the police, it's up to like how social change is achieved is that the grounds are made fertile for that change. So the defund the police become a talking point. The activists are pushing for something, social activism is. Then you have to now put that pressure onto those who are empowered to translate what the people are demanding into actionable steps. That, so yeah, you've broken that down really well. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah that's actionable steps. Yeah, into, into actionable steps. So now defund the police is a slogan. They're cool, say what you want. But what we're now, what we're meaning now, we're talking about reimagining law and order, which doesn't have to always equate to a law and order by violence, for example. Yeah. Because ultimately, politics is the art of persuasion. And while I think there's many issues with the system, as in like, obviously, I believe in democracy, but I think the many ways in which we exercise that democracy, I think, is flawed in many ways, like, you know, House of Lords, Monarch, and etc. However... The system we have now is what we have to work with. And I'm very, I'm someone who believes in being pragmatic. This is what we have at the moment. So I do believe in voting, do believe in pressure, pressure. But I feel ultimately the interplay between activism and politicians is super important. And, you know, just kind of, sorry, I gave my um, full explanation. Hope, hope I encapsulated what you meant to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was kind of 100%. Because I think it's that thing about not everyone plays the same position in kind exactly. of achieving social change. And actually exactly. that kind of corresponds to the different perspectives that people can take on that slogan. Absolutely, absolutely. Because sometimes some people need to be a bit shocked into things. Yeah. Some people need to be like taken by the hand and slowly walked. And again, whoever you, you each someone's role, someone's role and what they do is going to be different. And just kind of like in concluding, then, what is the future? Like, what do you want to go into? What does the future hold for you? So I think currently, kind of, it's a combination of either combinational choice between probably the law or politics, and I think okay. kind of one at a particular time so I think it's one of those because I think if we're really I think we we sit in this kind of next decade at a real crossroad in history and I think I don't want to look back in 40 50 years and say I should have been there so I think we're really at a point where we can bring our generation into the debate and and offer a new radically different option for society in the world that I think kind of this is the, our time to achieve our purpose as a generation. So I think it's either politics or the law, but probably leaning towards politics currently. I mean, I think you're very suited for it and you have my absolute support for Thank you very much. <laughs> and what I'll finally say, if young people who want to get involved and don't know what to do, what would you say? I think you kind of start small, start local, go on from there. I think that's the kind of, every single thing is about kind of building up and learning the initial kind of skills in your local area, in issues that, that affect people you know. But mm-hmm. also, I think this whole thing is about kind of communicating and reaching out to other people who are interested in the kind of topics that you discuss. So I think it's about how can we develop the kind of skills around activism, learn how to kind of organise people in your community, then take it from there. Because I think we kind of have a world to win. And we have to think, when we look, I think one of the best things about studying history is that you actually yeah. see that this kind of, the dominant historical narrative around essentially powerful people running everything is one that's just not factually correct. And that in the past, there have been social movements which have forced real change and concessions from the powerful. And so we kind of have to ask ourselves again, this is our time to change things. So I think if there's any young person who's listening and wants to get involved in activism, I'd say just do it. Absolutely, man. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much, Afi. And you are awesome, bro. I'm I'm left feeling inspired and I Thank wish you know, I hope people nah, absolutely, man. I hope I could speak to you soon again. And again, guys, you are listening to the Malcolm Effect with Mamadou Tao. Please like, comment, subscribe, whether that's going to be on Spotify, YouTube, or Apple Podcasts. And I'll post Athi and socials in the description. Until next time, guys, take care.